Chapter 21, Part 2 5. Familiarize yourself with the Bible. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. Psalm 119, 50. Digesting the Scripture well by meditation will prepare a person for suffering. The Word of God is a Christian's protection, his arsenal, and his royal fort. It may be compared to the Tower of David, whereon there hang a thousand bucklers. Song of Solomon 4 4. From these feasts of Scripture, divine strength flows into the soul. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16. Jerome spoke of one who, by frequently studying the Scriptures, made his heart the library of Christ. The blessed Scripture is not only a honeycomb for comfort, but it is also an armory for strength. First, the martyrs' hearts burned within them. Luke 24.32. By reading the Word of God. And then their bodies were ready to burn. The Bible arms a Christian against both temptation and persecution. Against temptation. Christ himself, when he was tempted by the devil, ran to the Scriptures for armor. It is written, Matthew 4, 4, 7, 10. Three times he wounded the old serpent with his sword. Jerome said of the Apostle Paul that he could never have gone through so many temptations if it were not for his Scripture armor. Christians, are you tempted? Go to the Scriptures. Gather a stone from there to fling in the face of a Goliath-like temptation. Are you tempted to pride? Read 1 Peter 5.5. God resisteth the proud. Are you tempted to lust? Read James 1.15. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death and against persecution. When the flesh draws back, the Bible will renew us. It will put armor upon us and courage into us. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Revelation 2, 10. The Christian says, I am not afraid to suffer. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. But why should I suffer? I love God, and is this not enough? No, but God will test your love. It is that ye may be tried. God's gold is best tried in the furnace. Some say, But this persecution is so long. No, it's only for ten days. It may be lasting, but it's not everlasting. What are ten days when compared with eternity? Some might wonder, How am I better off if I suffer? What comes of it? God says, I will give thee a crown of life. Although your body is martyred, your soul will be crowned. You say, But I will faint when trials come. God replies, My grace is sufficient for thee. 2 Corinthians 12 9. The weak Christian has omnipotence to uphold him. 6. Get a suffering frame of heart. What is a suffering frame of heart? It is a self-denying frame. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 16.24. Self-denial is the foundation of godliness, and if this is not laid well, the whole building will fall. If there is any lust in our souls that we cannot deny, it will eventually turn to either scandal or apostasy. Self-denial is the thread that must run along through the whole work of Christianity. The self-denying Christian will be the suffering Christian. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. To further explain this, I will show two things. A. What is meant by deny and b. What is meant by self. What is meant by deny? The word to deny signifies to lay aside, to put off, to annihilate oneself. Theodore Beza rendered it, let him renounce himself. What is meant by self? 
Self is taken four ways worldly self, relative self, natural self, and carnal self. A person must deny worldly self, that is, he must deny his estate, his wealth, and possessions. Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. Matthew 19 27. The gold of Ophir, 1 Chronicles 29 4, Job 28 16, must be denied for the pearl of great price. Matthew 13 45 46. That noble Marquess of Vico said, Let their money perish with them who esteem all the gold and silver in the world worth one hour's communion with Christ. A person must deny relative self, that is, he must deny his dearest relations, if God calls him to do so. If our closest alliance, that of father or mother, stand in our way and would hinder us from doing our duty, we must either leap over them or tread upon them. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Luke 14.26. Relations must not mean more than Christ. A person must deny natural self. He must be willing to become a sacrifice and make Christ's crown flourish, even though it is in his ashes. They loved not their lives unto the death. Revelation 12.11. Jesus Christ was dearer to them than their own heart's blood. And a person must deny carnal self. I understand this to be the main sense of the text. He must deny carnal ease. The flesh cries out for ease. It doesn't want to put its neck under Christ's yoke or stretch itself upon the cross. The flesh cries out, There is a lion without. Proverbs 22 13. We must deny our self ease. Those who rest upon the soft pillow of sloth will hardly take up the cross. Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.3. We must force a way to heaven through sweat and blood. Caesar's soldiers fought with hunger and cold. A person must deny self-opinion. Every person by nature has a high opinion of himself. He is drunk with spiritual pride, and a proud person is unfit for suffering. He thinks he's too good to suffer. He says, What? Will I, who am of such a noble descent, such lofty heritage, such reputation and esteem in the world, will I suffer? A proud person abhors the cross. Oh, deny self-opinion! How did Christ come to suffer? He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death. Philippians 2, 8. Let the accolades of pride fall. A person must deny self-confidence. Peter's confidence undermined him. Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Matthew 26, 33-35. How this man presumed upon his own strength as if he had more grace than all the other apostles! He denied Christ because he had not denied himself. Oh, deny yourself! A Christian's strength lies in Christ. He who trusts in himself will be left to himself. He who goes out in his own strength ends up with his own shame. A person must deny self-wisdom. We read of the wisdom of the flesh, 2 Corinthians 1.12. Self-wisdom is carnal wisdom. The flesh says that it is wisdom to keep out of suffering. It is wisdom not to speak out against sin. It is wisdom to find out petty distinctions to avoid the cross. The wisdom of the flesh desires to save the flesh. Indeed, there is a Christian wisdom to be used. The serpent's eye must be in the dove's head. Wisdom and innocence do well together but it is dangerous to separate them. Cursed be that policy that teaches to avoid duty. This wisdom is not from above, but is devilish. James 3.15. 
it is learned from the old serpent. This wisdom will eventually turn to foolishness. It's like a man who throws himself overboard into the water to save his gold. In the same way, the politician will condemn his soul to save his skin. A person must deny self will. Gregory called the will the commander in chief of all the powers of the soul. Indeed, in innocence, Adam had decency of mind and conformity of will. The will was like an instrument in tune, it was full of harmony and was tuned sweetly to God's will. Now, though, the will is corrupt, and like a strong tide it vigorously carries us to evil. The will not only has a reluctance to good, but it also has an opposition to good. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. Acts 7.51. There is not a greater enemy than the will. It is up in arms against God. 2 Peter 2.10. The will loves sin and hates the cross. If ever we suffer for God, we must oppose and resist our own will. The will must be martyred. A Christian must say, Not my will, but thine be done. Luke 22 42. A person must deny self reasonings. The carnal part will be reasoning and disputing against sufferings. Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Mark 2 8. Such thoughts as the following will begin to arise in our hearts. Persecution is bitter. Oh, but it is blessed. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. James 1 12. The cross is heavy, but the sharper the cross, the brighter the crown. And it is sad to part with possessions and relations. But Christ is better than all. He is manna to strengthen. He is wine to comfort, and he is salvation to crown. And doing things my own way is sweet. But this restraint makes way for enlargement. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Psalm 4 1. When the feet are bound with chains, the heart may be sweetly expanded and enlarged. Therefore, we should put to silence those self reasonings that tend to arise in the heart against sufferings. This self denying frame of heart is very difficult. This is to pluck out the right eye. Matthew 5 29. Someone says that a person doesn't have as much to do in overcoming men and devils as in overcoming himself. He who conquers himself is stronger than he who conquers the strongest walled city. Proverbs 16.32. Self is the idol, and it is quite difficult to sacrifice this idol and to turn self-seeking into self-denial. Although it is difficult, it is essential to suffering. A Christian must first lay down self before he can take up the cross. How far they are, then, from suffering who cannot deny themselves in the smallest things, who, in their food or clothing, instead of martyring the flesh, pamper the flesh. Instead of taking up the cross, they take up their cups. Is it self-denial to let loose the reins to the flesh? It is certain that if sufferings come, those who cannot deny themselves will deny Christ. O Christians, if you ever want to be able to carry Christ's cross, begin to deny yourselves. Whatever you deny for Christ, you will find again in Christ. Every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. Matthew 19.29. This is a very good bargain. It is gain enough to have a hundred for every ten. But here is a promise of a hundred for one. It's only right that you should deny yourselves for Christ. Didn't Jesus Christ deny himself for you? He denied his joy, he left his father's house. He denied his honor, he endured the shame. Hebrews 12, 2. He denied his life, he poured out his blood as a sacrifice upon the altar of the cross. Colossians 1, 20. Did Christ deny himself for you, and will you not deny yourselves for him? 
Self-denial is the highest sign of an absolute Christian. Hypocrites may have great knowledge and make a loud profession of faith, but it's only the true-hearted saint who can deny himself for Christ. I have read of a holy man who was once tempted by Satan, to whom Satan said, Why do you take all this effort? You watch and fast and abstain from sin. What do you more than I? You are not a drunkard or an adulterer? Neither am I. Do you watch? Let me tell you, I never slept. Do you fast? I never eat. What do you do more than I? The good man said, I will tell you, Satan. I pray, I serve the Lord. More than all this, I deny myself. Well then, said Satan, you go further than me, for I exalt myself. And so he vanished. Self-denial is the best measure of sincerity. By this you go beyond hypocrites. To deny yourself is only to do what others have done before you. Moses was a self-denier. He denied the honors and profits of the court. Hebrews 11:24-26. Abraham denied his own country at God's call. Hebrews 11:8. Marcus Arethusus, who lived in the time of Emperor Julian, endured great torments for Christianity. If he would have only given a small coin toward the rebuilding of the idol's temple, he would have been released. But he wouldn't do it, even though giving a coin would have saved his life. He was a self-denying saint. There is a time coming soon when, if you don't deny the world for Christ, the world will deny you. The world now denies satisfaction, and before long it will deny you room to be in it. It will not allow you so much as to breathe in it. However, if you do not deny the world for Christ, Christ will deny you. Whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Matthew 10:33. 7. Get suffering graces, particularly faith, love, and patience. The first suffering grace is faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Ephesians 6:16. 6, the display of faith is one thing. But the use of faith is another. The hypocrite makes faith a cloak, but the martyr makes it a shield. A shield is useful in times of danger. It defends the head and protects the vital organs. Faith is such a shield. Faith is a furnace grace, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1 7. Faith, like Hercules's club, beats down all opposition. By faith we resist the devil. 1 Peter 5 8 9. By faith we resist unto blood. Hebrews 11 34. Faith is a victorious grace. The believer will make Christ's crown flourish, even if it is in his own ashes. An unbeliever is like Reuben, unstable as water, he shall not excel. Genesis 49 4. A believer is like Joseph, who, though the archers shot at him, his bow abode in strength. Genesis 49 24. If you cast a believer upon the waters of affliction, he can follow Christ upon the water and not sink. If you cast him into the fire, his zeal burns hotter than the flame. If you cast him into prison, he is enlarged in spirit. Paul and Silas had their prison songs. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder. Psalm 91:13. A Christian, armed with faith as a coat of mail, can tread upon those persecutions that are as fierce as the lion and sting as the adder. Get faith. Faith can be seen to be such armor in the following six ways. 1. Faith unites the soul to Christ, and that blessed head sends forth life into the members. I can do all things through Christ. Philippians 4, 13. 
Faith is a grace that lives entirely upon obtaining it outside of ourselves. When we want water, we go to the well and get it. When we want gold, we go to the mine. Faith goes to Christ and obtains His strength into the soul, whereby it is enabled both to do and to suffer. This is why faith is such a wonder-working grace. 2. Faith produces a contempt of the world in the heart. Faith gives a true picture of the world. Ecclesiastes 2.11 Faith shows the world in its plainness, having all its jewels pulled off. Faith makes the world appear in an eclipse. The believer sees more eclipses than the astronomer. Faith shows the soul better things than the world. It gives a sight of Christ and glory. It gives a prospect of heaven. As the sailor climbs up to the top of the mast in a dark night and cries out, I see a star, so faith climbs up above sense and reason into heaven and sees Christ that bright and morning star. Then the soul, once it has viewed his magnificent virtues, becomes crucified to the world. Oh, says the Christian, I will gladly suffer the loss of all these things so that I may enjoy Jesus Christ. 3. Faith gets strength from the promise. Faith lives in a promise. If you take a fish out of the water, it dies. If you take faith out of a promise, it cannot live. The promises are sources of consolation. The child gets strength from drinking his mother's milk, and faith grows by drinking a promise from God. When a fort is surrounded and the soldiers are almost ready to surrender to the enemy, auxiliary forces are sent in to relieve it. When faith begins to weaken and is ready to faint in the day of battle, the promises gather their forces together and they all come in for faith's relief, enabling it to be able to hold out in the fiery trial. 4. Faith gives the soul a proper understanding of suffering. Faith draws the true picture of sufferings. What is suffering? Faith says it is only the suffering of the body, the body that must soon, by the course of nature, drop into the dust. Persecution can only take away my life. A fever or other sickness may do as much. Faith, by giving the soul a proper understanding of suffering and taking a right perspective of them, enables a Christian to surrender his life at the feet of Christ. 5. Faith reconciles providences and promises. As it was on Paul's voyage, providence seemed to be against him. A crosswind called Euroclidon arose. Acts 27:14 But God had given Paul a promise that he would save his life along with the lives of all who sailed with him in the ship. Acts 27:24 Therefore, when the wind blew ever so contrary, Paul believed it would eventually blow him to the haven. So, when the human senses say, this is a contrary and difficult providence, sufferings come and I will be ruined, then faith says, all things work together for good to them that love God. Romans 8:28. This providence, though difficult, will fulfill the promise. Affliction will work for my good. It will heal my corruption and save my soul. Thus, faith, making the wind and tide go together, the wind of a providence with the tide of the promise, enables a Christian to suffer persecution. And 6. Faith gathers sweetness out of the cross. Faith shows the soul God reconciled and sin pardoned, and then how sweet is every suffering! The bee gathers the sweetest honey from the bitterest herb. A bitter medicine often gives strength to the weary, and faith from the severest trials gathers the sweetest comforts. Faith looks upon suffering as God's token of love. Natsiansen said that afflictions are sharp arrows, but they are shot from the hand of a loving father. Faith can taste honey at the end of the rod. 1 Samuel 14:43. Faith brings joy out of suffering. John 16:20. Faith finds a honeycomb in the belly of the lion. Judges 14:8. It finds a jewel under the cross. You can see how faith comes to be such armor of proof. Above all, 
taking the shield of faith. Ephesians 6.16 A believer who has cast his anchor in heaven cannot sink in the waters of persecution. The second suffering grace is love. Get hearts kindled with love for the Lord Jesus. Love is both an active and passive grace. Love is active. It lays a law of constraint upon the soul. The love of Christ constrains us. 2 Corinthians 5.14 Love is the wing of the soul that sets it flying, and the weight of the soul that sets it going. Love never thinks it can do enough for Christ. Just as he who loves the world never thinks he can take too much effort for it, love is never weary. It's not tired unless with its own slowness. And love is passive. It enables a person to suffer. A person who loves his friend will suffer anything for him rather than to see him wronged. The courtii laid down their lives for the Romans because they loved them. Love made our dear Lord suffer for us. As the pelican, out of love to her young ones when they are bitten by serpents, feeds them with her own blood to restore them again, so when we had been bitten by the old serpent, Christ gave his own blood for us so that we could be restored. Jacob's love for Rachel made him almost risk his life for her. Many waters cannot quench love. Song of Solomon 8 7. Not even the waters of persecution. Love is strong as death. Song of Solomon 8 6. Death makes its way through the greatest oppositions, and love will make its way to Christ through the prison and the furnace. But all people claim to love Christ. How will we know that we have such a love to Him that will make us suffer for Him? I answer that true love is a love of friendship, which is genuine and sincere when we love Christ for Himself. There is a greedy and insincere love when we love divine objects for something else. A person may love the queen of truth for the jewel at her ear because she brings advancement. A person may love Christ for his head of gold. Song of Solomon 5.11, because he enriches with glory. But true love is when we love Christ for his loveliness, that infinite and marvelous beauty that shines in him. As Augustine said, we love Jesus on account of Jesus. That is, a man loves sweet wine for itself. True love is a love of desire, when we desire to be united to Christ as the fountain of happiness. Love desires union. The soul that loves Christ looks forward to death because this dissolution leads to union. Death slips one knot and ties another. True love is a love of benevolence, when, as much as we are able, we strive to lift up Christ's name in the world. As the wise men brought him gold and frankincense, Matthew 2, 11, so we bring him our tribute of service and desire for him to rise, even if it would be by our fall. In short, the love that is kindled from heaven makes us give Christ the preeminence of our affection. I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. Song of Solomon 8.2 If the spouse has a cup that is more flavorful and spiced, Christ will drink of that. Indeed, we can never love Christ too much. We may excessively love gold, but it's not possible to excessively love Christ. The angels do not love Christ to his worth. When love is stirred up to this height, it will enable us to suffer. Love is strong as death. Song of Solomon 8 6. The martyrs first burned in love and then in fire. The third suffering grace is patience. Patience is a grace made and well suited for suffering. Patience is a sweet submission to the will of God whereby we are content to bear anything that He is pleased to place upon us. Patience makes a Christian invincible. It's like the anvil that bears all strokes. We cannot be men without patience. An angry temper unmans a man. It excludes him from the use of reason. We cannot be martyrs without patience. Patience makes us endure. 
James 5.10. We read of a beast, like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power. Revelation 13.2. This beast is to be understood of the anti-Christian power. The Antichrist may be compared to a leopard for cunningness and fierceness, and on his head was the name of blasphemy, Revelation 13, 1, which agrees with that description of the man of sin, he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, and the dragon gave him his power, Revelation 13, 2, that is, the devil, and it was given unto him to make war with the saints. Revelation 13, 7. How do the saints bear the heat of this fiery trial? Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Revelation 13, 10. Patience overcomes by suffering. A Christian without patience is like a soldier without a weapon. Faith keeps the heart up from sinking. Patience keeps the heart down from murmuring. Patience is not angered by wrongs, it is aware of wrongs, but is not angry about them. Patience looks to the purpose of sufferings. This is the motto, God will guarantee the result also. As the watchman waits for the dawning of the morning, so the patient Christian suffers and waits until the day of glory begins to dawn upon him. Faith says, God will come and patience says, I will wait for his time. These are those suffering graces that are a Christian's armor of proof. 8. Treasure up suffering promises. The promises are faith's preservers to keep it from sinking. They are the milk a Christian lives on in time of sufferings. They are honey at the end of the rod. Treasure up the promises. God has made promises of direction, that He will give us a spirit of wisdom in that hour, teaching us what to say. I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Luke 21, 15. You don't need to study what to say. God will put an answer into your mouth. Many of God's sufferers can testify to this. The Lord has all at once sent such words into their mouths that their enemies could easier condemn than contradict. God has made promises of protection. No man shall set on thee to hurt thee. Acts 18.10 How safe Paul was when he had omnipotence itself to ward off danger. There shall not an hair of your head perish. Luke 21.18 Persecutors are lions, but they are chained lions. God has made promises of His special presence with His saints in suffering. I will be with Him in trouble. Psalm 91.15 If we have such a friend to visit us in prison, we will do well enough. Although we change our place, we will not change our keeper. I will be with Him. God will hold our head and heart when we are fainting. What does it matter if we have more afflictions than others, if we also have more of God's fellowship? God's honor is dear to Him. It wouldn't be for His honor to bring His children into sufferings and leave them there. He will be with them to strengthen and support them. When new troubles arise, He shall deliver thee in six troubles. Job 5.19 The Lord has made promises of deliverance. I will deliver him and honor him. Psalm 91.15. God will open a back door for his people to escape out of sufferings. He will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape. 1 Corinthians 10.13. This is what he did for Peter, Acts 12.7-10. Peter's prayers had opened heaven, and God's angel opened the prison. God can either prevent a snare or break it. Unto God the Lord belong the issues from death. Psalm 68, 20. He who can strengthen our faith can break our chains. The Lord sometimes makes enemies the instruments of breaking those snares that they themselves have laid. Esther 8, 
8. In the case of martyrdom, God has made promises of consolation. Your sorrow shall be turned into joy. John 16:20. There is the water turned into wine. Be of good cheer, Paul. Acts 23:11. In time of persecution, God opens the wine of consolation. Tonics are kept for fainting. Philip, landgrave of Hesse, professed that he himself experienced the divine consolations of the martyrs. Stephen saw the heavens opened, Acts 7.56. Robert Glover, that blessed martyr, cried out at the stake in holy delight, referring to the comforter, He is come, He is come. God has made promises of compensation. God will abundantly reward all our sufferings. In this life, an hundredfold, and in the world to come, everlasting life. Matthew 19.29. Augustine calls this the best and greatest interest that can be earned. Our losses for Christ are rewarding. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Matthew 10.39. 9. Set suffering examples before your eyes. Look upon others as examples to imitate. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. James 5.10. Examples have more influence upon us than directives. One instructs and the other motivates. As they show elephants the blood of grapes and mulberries to make them fight better, so the Holy Spirit shows us the blood of saints and martyrs to infuse a spirit of zeal and courage into us. Micaiah was in the prison, 1 Kings 22:26-27. Jeremiah was in the dungeon, Jeremiah 38:6. Isaiah was sawn asunder. The early Christians, even though their flesh was boiled, roasted, and dismembered, remained invincible like adamant stone. Their zeal and patience in suffering were such that their persecutors stood amazed and were wearier in tormenting them than they were in enduring. When John Huss was brought to be burned, they put upon his head a triple crown of paper printed with red devils. When he saw it, he said, My Lord Jesus Christ wore a crown of thorns for me. Why then should I not wear this crown, no matter how disgraceful it is? Polycarp, bishop of Smyrna, was brought before the proconsul and was urged to deny Christ and swear by the emperor. He replied, I have served Christ these eighty-six years, and he has not once hurt me. Shall I deny him now? Lawrence Saunders, that blessed martyr, said, Welcome, thou cross of Christ, welcome everlasting life. As James Bainham was standing in the martyr's fire, he said, O you papists, behold, you look for miracles, and here now you may see a miracle, for in this fire I feel no more pain than if I were on a bed of down. Another martyr said, The ringing of my chain has been sweet music in my ears. Oh, what a comforter is a good conscience! Another martyr, kissing the stake, said, I will not lose my life, but only exchange it for a better. Instead of coals, I will have pearls. Another, when the chain was being fastened to him, said, Blessed be God for this wedding garment. We should store up these suffering examples in our hearts. God is still the same God. He has as much love in his heart to care for us and as much strength in his arm to help us. Let us think with ourselves what courage the very heathen have shown in their sufferings. Julius Caesar was a man of a heroic spirit. When he was told of a conspiracy against him in the Senate House, he answered that he would rather die than fear. Mutius Scaevola had his hand held over the fire until the flesh fried and his sinews began to shrink, yet he bore it with an undaunted spirit. Quintus Curtius tells of Lysimachus, a brave captain who was sentenced to be cast to a lion. When the lion came roaring upon him, Lysimachus wrapped his shirt around his arm and thrust it into the lion's mouth. 
He then took hold of the lion's tongue and killed the lion. Did nature infuse such a spirit of courage and bravery into heathens? How much more should grace be infused into Christians? Let us be of the Apostle Paul's mind. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. Acts 20, 24. 10. Let us gather suffering considerations. A wise Christian will consider the following things. Consider whom we suffer for. It is for Christ that we suffer, and we cannot suffer for a better friend. Many people will suffer shame and death for their lusts. They will suffer disgrace for a drunken lust. They will suffer death for a vengeful lust. Will others die for their lusts, and will we not die for Christ? Will a person suffer for that lust that damns him, and will we not suffer for Christ who saves us? Oh, remember that we embrace God's own cause, and He will not allow us to be losers. If no one will kindle a fire on God's altar for naught, Malachi 1.10, then surely no one will sacrifice himself for God in the fire for naught. It is a great honor to suffer persecution. Ambrose, speaking at the funeral of his sister, said, I will say this of her, she was a martyr. It is a great honor to be singled out to bear witness to the truth. They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Acts 5.41 Defender of the faith is a title that has been given to kings. In a special way, a martyr is a defender of the faith. Kings are defenders of the faith by their swords, and martyrs are defenders of the faith by their blood. Gregory Nazianzen called Athanasius the bulwark of truth. It is an honor to stand up for God. Martyrs are not only Christ's followers, but they also carry his flag. The Romans had their camelli and fabrici, brave warriors who graced the field. God calls out none but his champions to fight his battles. We read that Abraham called forth his trained soldiers, Genesis 14, 14, those who were more expert and valiant. What an honor it is to be one of Christ's trained soldiers! The disciples dreamed of an earthly reign, Acts 1, 6. Christ tells them, Ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Acts 1, 8. To bear witness by their sufferings to the truth of Christ's divinity and passion was a greater honor to the disciples than to have had an earthly reign. A bloody cross is more honorable than a purple robe. Persecution is called the fiery trial, 1 Peter 4.12. God has two fires, one where he puts his gold and another where he puts his dross. The fire where he puts his dross is hellfire. The fire where he puts his gold is the fire of persecution. God honors his gold when he puts it into the fire. A spirit of glory rests upon you. 1 Peter 1 7, 1 Peter 4 14. Just as persecution is a badge of our fellowship, so it is an emblem of our glory. What greater honor can be put upon a mortal man? than to stand up in the cause of God, and not only to die in the Lord, but to die for the Lord. Ignatius called his chains his spiritual pearls. Paul gloried more in his iron chain than if it had been a gold chain. Acts 28.20 Consider what Jesus Christ endured for us. John Calvin said that Christ's whole life was a series of sufferings. Christian. What is your suffering? Are you poor? So is Christ. Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Matthew 8 20. Are you surrounded by enemies? So was Christ. Against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. Acts 4 27. Do our enemies lay claim to religion? So did his. The chief priests took the silver pieces and said, 
It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, because it is the price of blood. Matthew 27, 6. Godly persecutors. Are you mocked? So was Christ. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Matthew 27, 29. Are you slandered? So was Christ. He casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. Matthew 9, 34. Are you disgracefully used? So was Christ. Some began to spit upon him. Mark 14, 65. Are you betrayed by friends? So was Christ. Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Luke 22, 48. Have you lost wealth or possessions? Do the wicked cast lots for it? So Christ was dealt with. They parted his garments, casting lots. Matthew 27, 35. Do we suffer unjustly? So did Christ. His very judge acquitted him. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. Luke 23, 4. Are you brutally treated and dragged away to suffering? So was Christ. When they had bound him, although he had come to set them free, they led him away. Matthew 27, 2. Do you suffer death? So did Christ. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. Luke 23, 33. They gave him gall and vinegar to drink. Matthew 27, 34. The one picturing the bitterness and the other the sharpness of his death. Christ underwent not only the blood of the cross, but also the curse of the cross. Galatians 3, 13. He had an agony in his soul. My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Matthew 26, 38. The soul of Christ was overcast with a cloud of God's displeasure. The Greek church calls the sufferings of Christ unknown sufferings. Did the Lord Jesus endure all this for us, and will we not suffer persecution for his name? Say, as holy Ignatius said, I am willing to die. My love has been crucified. Our cup is nothing compared to the cup that Christ drank. His cup was mixed with the wrath of God, and if he endured God's wrath for us, we may well endure man's wrath for him. Great is the honor we bring to Christ and the gospel by suffering. It was an honor to Caesar that he had such soldiers who were able to fight while hungry and cold and were able to endure hardship in their marches. It is an honor to Christ that he has such people serving unto him who will leave all for him. It proclaims him to be a good master when his servants will wear his uniform even though it is stained with disgrace and lined with blood. Paul's iron chain made the gospel wear a golden chain. Tertullian said of the saints in his time that they accepted their sufferings more favorably than if they had been set free. Oh, what a glory this was to the truth when they dared to embrace it in the flame! And as the saints' sufferings adorn the gospel, so they proclaim it. Basil said that the zeal and constancy of the martyrs in the early church resulted in some of the heathen turning to Christ. The church is founded in blood, and by blood it increases. The showers of blood have always made the church fruitful. Paul's being bound caused the truth to be spread. Philippians 1.13. The gospel has always flourished in the ashes of martyrs. Consider who it is to whom we have pledged ourselves in baptism. There we made our commitment. We solemnly vowed that we would be true to Christ's interest and fight it out under His banner to the death. How often in the Blessed Supper we have taken the oath of allegiance to Jesus Christ that we would be His loyal servants and that death would not part us. If we are called to it and we refuse to suffer persecution for His name, Christ will bring our baptism as an indictment against us. Christ is called the captain of our salvation. Hebrews 2.10. We have registered ourselves by name under this captain. Now, if, out of fear, we run from our obligation, 
It is perjury in the highest degree. And how will we be able to look Christ in the face another day? The oath that is not sacredly kept will be certainly punished. Where does the flying roll of curses land, except in the house of him who sweareth falsely? Zechariah 5, 2-4 Our sufferings are light. This light affliction, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, it is heavy to flesh and blood, but it is light to faith. Affliction is light in a threefold respect. One, it is light in comparison to sin. He who feels sin to be heavy will feel suffering to be light. Sin made Paul cry out, O wretched man that I am, Romans 7.24. He doesn't cry out because of his iron chain, but because of his sin. The greater noise drowns the lesser. When the sea roars, the rivers are silent. He who is concerned about his sins and sees how he has provoked God thinks the yoke of affliction to be light. Micah 7 9. 2. Affliction is light in comparison to hell. What is persecution compared to damnation? What is the fire of martyrdom compared to the fire of the damned? It is no more than the pricking of a pin compared to a deadly wound. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Psalm 90 11. Christ himself could not have borne that anger if he had not been more than a man. And three, affliction is light in comparison to glory. The weight of glory makes persecution light. Chrysostom said that if the torments of all the people in the world could be laid upon one man, it would not be worth one hour of being in heaven. If persecution is light, we should in a manner treat it accordingly. Let us neither faint through unbelief nor agonize through impatience. Our sufferings are short. After that ye have suffered a while, 1 Peter 5.10, or as it is in the Greek, a little. Our sufferings may be lasting, but they are not everlasting. Affliction is compared to a cup, Lamentations 4.21. The wicked drink from a sea of wrath that has no bottom. It will never be emptied. But ours is only a cup of martyrdom, and God will say, Let this cup pass away. Matthew 26.39. The rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous. Psalm 125.3. The rod may be there, but it will not remain there. Christ calls his sufferings an hour. Luke 22.53. Can we not suffer one hour? Persecution is sharp but short. Though it has a sting to torment, yet it has a wing to fly. Sorrow and sighing shall fly away. Isaiah 35.10. In a little while, the saints will have a decree of ease granted to them. They will weep no more and will suffer no more. They will be taken off the torturing rack and laid in Christ's arms. The people of God will not always be in the iron furnace. A year of jubilee will come. Leviticus 25. The water of persecution, like a flood on land, will soon be dried up. While we suffer for Christ, we suffer with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him. Romans 8.17. Jesus Christ bears part of the suffering with us. The Christian might say that he will never be able to hold out. Remember, though, that you suffer with Christ. He helps you to suffer. As our blessed Saviour said, I am not alone because the Father is with me. John 16.32. A believer may say, I am not alone because Christ is with me. He carries the heaviest end of the cross. My grace is sufficient for thee. 2 Corinthians 12.9. Underneath are the everlasting arms. Deuteronomy 33.27. If Christ places the yoke of persecution upon us, he will put his arms under us. The Lord Jesus will not only crown us when we conquer, but he will enable us to conquer. When the dragon fights against the godly, Christ is that Michael who stands up for them and helps them to overcome. Daniel 12, 1. 
He who refuses to suffer persecution will never be free from suffering. He will face internal, external, and eternal suffering. Internal sufferings. He who will not suffer for conscience will suffer in conscience. We see this, for example, in the life of Francis Spira. After he had, out of fear, recanted that doctrine that he once professed, he was in great terror of mind and became a very skeleton. He claimed to have felt the very pains of the damned in his soul. He who was afraid of the stake was placed upon the rack of conscience. External Sufferings Pendleton refused to suffer for Christ. Not long after, his house caught on fire and he was burned in it. He who would not burn for Christ was afterward made to burn for his sins. Eternal Sufferings Suffering the Vengeance of Eternal Fire, Jude 1 7. These present sufferings cannot prevent a person from being blessed. Blessed are they which are persecuted, Matthew 5 10. We think, Blessed are those who are rich, but Jesus said, Blessed are they which are persecuted. James wrote, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, James 1 12. Peter declared, if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. 1 Peter 3.14 Persecution cannot hinder us from being blessed. I will demonstrate this in four points. 1. They are blessed who have God for their God. Happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Psalm 144.15 Persecution cannot hinder us from having God for our God. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. Daniel 3.17. Though persecuted, they could still say, Our God. Therefore, persecution cannot hinder us from being blessed. 2. They are blessed whom God loves, and persecution cannot hinder the love of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall persecution? Romans 8.35. The goldsmith loves his gold just as much when it is in the fire as when it is in his bag. God loves his children just as much in adversity as in prosperity. As many as I love, I rebuke. Revelation 3:19. God visits his children in prison. Be of good cheer, Paul. Acts 23:11. God sweetens their sufferings. As the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. 2 Corinthians 1 5. The mother who has given her child a bitter pill gives him a lump of sugar afterward. Persecution is a bitter pill, but God gives the comforts of his spirit to sweeten it. If persecution cannot hinder God's love, then it cannot hinder us from being blessed. 3. Those for whom Christ prays are blessed and those who are persecuted have Christ praying for them. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. John 17, 11. That prayer was made for all believers, but especially for his apostles whom he foretold would be martyrs. John 16, 2. If persecution cannot hinder Christ's prayer for us, then it cannot impede or obstruct our blessedness. And for they are blessed who have sin purged out, and persecution purges out sin. Isaiah 27, 9, Hebrews 12, 11. Persecution is like an acid to eat out the proud flesh. It is a fan to winnow us and a fire to refine us. Persecution is the medicine God applies to His children to carry away their gloom. Certainly, that which purges out sin cannot hinder blessedness. 11. The great suffering consideration is the glorious reward that follows sufferings. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.10. Basil said that the hope of reward is very powerful and moving. Moses had an eye on the recompense of the reward. Hebrews 11.26. Even on Christ himself. Hebrews 12.2. Many people have done great things for the hope of an earthly reward. 
When his country was oppressed by the Gauls, Camillus risked his life for his country to purchase fame and honor. If people will risk their lives for a little worldly honor, what should we do for the reward of glory? Chrysostom said that a merchant does not mind a few storms at sea, for he thinks of the profit and gain when the ship comes home filled. In the same way, a Christian should not be overly concerned about his present sufferings, but should think of the rich reward when he will arrive at the heavenly harbor. Great is your reward in heaven. Matthew 5.12. The cross is a golden ladder by which we climb up to heaven. A Christian may lose his life, but not his reward. He may lose his head, but not his crown. If he who gives a cup of cold water will not lose his reward, Matthew 10.42, then much less will he lose his reward who gives of his own blood for the sake of Christ. The rewards of glory may sweeten all the waters of Mara, Exodus 15.25. It should be a motivation to martyrdom. It's not that we can earn this reward by our sufferings. I will give thee a crown of life, Revelation 2.10. The reward is the legacy that free grace passes down. What proportion is there between a drop of blood and a weight of glory? Christ Himself, as He was man only, setting aside His Godhead, did not earn any reward by His sufferings, for Christ, as He was man only, was a creature. A creature doesn't have a right to anything from the Creator. Christ's sufferings, as He was man only, were finite, and therefore could not merit infinite glory. Indeed, as He was God, His sufferings were meritorious, but when considering Him purely as man, they were not. This is a good argument against the Roman Catholics. If Christ's sufferings, as He was man only, although as man He was above the angels, could not merit, then what man upon earth, what prophet or martyr, is able to merit anything by his sufferings? Although we have no reward ex merito, by merit, we will have it ex gratia, by grace. So it is in the text, Great is your reward in heaven. Matthew 5.12. The thought of this reward should energize Christians. Look upon the crown and grow weak if you can. The reward is as far above your thoughts as it is beyond what you deserve. A man who is to wade through deep water fixes his eyes upon the firm land before him. While Christians are wading through the deep waters of persecution, they should fix the eyes of their faith on the land of promise. Great is your reward in heaven. Those who bear the cross patiently will wear the crown. Triumphantly. Christ's suffering saints will have greater degrees in glory. Matthew 19 28. God has his highest seats, and even his thrones, for his martyrs. It's true that he who has the smallest degree of glory, a doorkeeper in heaven, will have enough. Psalm 84 10. But as Joseph gave to Benjamin a greater portion above the rest of his brethren, Genesis 43 34, so God will give to His sufferers a greater portion of glory. Some planets in the heavens are higher, and some stars are brighter. God's martyrs will shine brighter in the heavenly horizon. Look often upon the recompense of the reward. Hebrews 11.26 Not all the silks of Persia, the spices of Arabia, and the gold of Ophir can be compared to this glorious reward. How should the thoughts of this sharpen and strengthen us with courage in our sufferings? When they threatened Basil with banishment, he comforted himself with this, that he would be either under heaven or in heaven. It was the hope of this reward that so enlivened those early martyrs who, when incense was put into their hands and there was nothing else required of them to save their lives except to sprinkle a little of that incense upon the altar in honor of the idol, would rather die than do it. This glorious reward in heaven is called reigning with Christ. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. 2 Timothy 2.12 We are first martyrs, then kings. Julian honored all those who were slain in his battles. The Lord Jesus does the same. 
After the saints' crucifixion, their coronation follows. They will reign with him. The wicked first reign, and then they suffer. The godly first suffer, and then they reign. The saints will have a happy reign. It will be both peaceable and permanent. Who would not swim through blood to this crown? Who would not suffer joyfully? Christ says, Be exceeding glad. Matthew 5 12. The Greek word signifies to leap for joy. Christians should have their spirits elevated and exhilarated when they contemplate the eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4 17. If you want to be able to suffer, pray much. Beg God to clothe you with a spirit of zeal and devotion. Unto you it is given, in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Philippians 1.29 It is a gift of God to be able to suffer. Pray for this gift. Don't think you are able of yourselves to lay down life and liberty for Christ. Peter was overconfident. He said, I will lay down my life for thy sake. John 13.37 But Peter's strength undid him. Peter had regular grace, but he lacked supplemental grace. Christians need fresh gales from heaven. Pray for the Spirit to strengthen you in your sufferings. As the fire hardens the potter's vessel that is at first weak and pliable, so the fire of the Spirit hardens people against sufferings. Pray that God will make you like an anvil so that you may bear the strokes of persecutors with invincible patience.